Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Haunted History Chronicles. Edinburgh was built within the medieval defence walls known as the Flodden Walls. This meant that all of the buildings were built up, the wealthy lived at the top, and everyone else lived in near darkness at the bottom, next to the sewage-covered streets. Today there are streets and alleyways in Edinburgh that no longer echo with footsteps, where broken pieces of wood snapped from holes in the walls are the only indication that traders once set up stalls. A place that was once overground, now shut away from the open skies, entombed below buildings. By the mid-1600s in Edinburgh, these streets were a maze of densely populated closes that were usually named after a well-known resident or trade that was working in that area. For example, Flesh Market Close was the city's abattoir, and Anchor Close was named after a tavern on the same street. One of the most recognisable of these tight little lanes was named after a wealthy widow called Mary King, who lived along the Royal Mile in the 1630s, raising her four children, Alexander, Euphemy, Jonnet and William. She'd managed to build a thriving textile business and was so beloved that her name was attached to the close. As is the case with so many women in history, there is little known about the closest namesake, Mary King. What we do know is a tantalising glimpse at a fiercely independent woman, years before her time. Born in Edinburgh at the end of the 16th century, we know nothing of Mary King's pre-married life. She married Thomas Nimmo in 1616, yet despite the tradition in taking the husband's name, Mary kept her surname as King. Tragedy struck the family in 1629, when Thomas passed away, leaving Mary to raise the children alone. But life was not all bad. In Thomas's testament he left Mary a title, naming her a Burgess. Mary gained a seat on the Edinburgh Council granting her voting rights. Considering women did not achieve the same voting rights as men until 1928, this put Mary almost precisely 300 years ahead of her time. As a merchant in the city, it only made sense for Mary to move to Mary King's Close, then known as Alexander King's Close. The street was the second largest in Edinburgh, first being the Royal Mile, and was used as a market. In 1635, she brought her family to the Close, purchasing not one, but two properties. Her turnpike house, taxed house, with a cellar, and her lay for booth, stall. Mary sold clothes and cloth to support her family, but she also had a taste for the luxurious things in life like fine wines and imported ceramics, leaving her very little money in the end. Unfortunately, Mary never lived to see her name recognised. The first recognition of Mary King's close was in a council meeting half a century after her death in 1644. Upon her passing, Mary left the following possessions in her will. Two gold rings, six silver spoons, a long settle, which was a wooden bench, three buffet stools, two pairs of tongs, a variety of fire irons, two tin chamber pots, and wine and beer. These may seem ordinary things in a modern home, but this extensive collection shows she used her wealth to purchase finer things for herself. Mary King's collection of objects and achievement of a street name 
demonstrates the life of an extraordinary woman, breaking the gender barriers and leaving behind a powerful legacy. In 1645, one year after the passing of Mary King, the plague would enter the city of Edinburgh. 17th century Edinburgh was an unhygienic place, where sewage flowed freely through the streets. Without a proper sewage system to remove waste, every household owned a bucket that spent all day in the corner of the living quarters before rapidly filling with urine, feces and whatever else. Then, at a specific time of day, the warning cry, Gardy Lou, would be bellowed before the bucket contents were thrown into the streets below. These unsanitary conditions created a breeding ground for flea-infested rats. The combination of close quarters and infectious disease meant that much of the city became deathly ill, the plague simply sweeping through the streets like a wildfire. It's estimated that by the end of the outbreak there were less than 100 people in Edinburgh that were healthy to serve in the town guard. And so in today's podcast we're going to take a journey back to those streets, frozen in time, with centuries of stories just waiting to be told the authentic truths about Edinburgh's dark past and find out what it was really like for the people who lived, worked and died on the close. To be able to imagine what life in Mary King Close was like, you have to leave the modern world behind and imagine yourself stepping back into the dark, dank labyrinth of narrow alleyways that make up the historic Mary King's Close, claustrophobic streets that led away from the light and downhill into the shadows. Your nose would be assaulted by a musty smell that filled the air, and your eyes would have to slowly adjust to the lack of light in the underground city. As you make your way down the stairs into the close, you look down a steep, slanting road. It is this road that the household waste is thrown into and makes its way down to the city lock, a place heavily polluted by human sewage and household waste, and rumoured to be where suspected witches of Scotland were drowned. As you look inside some of the dwellings of the close, you can see just how little living space they had, and how impoverished many were scratching out their existence on these exposed dirt floors, surrounded by damp and darkness. In another, you can see 400-year-old imprints on the wall, poor man's version of wallpaper. As you explore other dwellings, you can see some of the character of the residents. Andrew Chesney, for example, a wealthy sawmaker who enjoyed showing off his indoor toilet, something he referred to as his thunderbox. He would leave his front door open so it was proudly on display for all passers-by. These are streets today frozen in time in the 17th century. Back then in 1645, sickness was everywhere in Mary King Close. The streets busy with the unsung heroes of the city known as foul clangers, or plague cleaners, whose job it was to enter the homes of those affected with plague to remove the bodies, cleanse the air by burning. Plague doctors with their large beaked mask, which were filled with sweet-smelling herbs at the nose, and leather cloak, would be in attendance of the sick and dying. George Ray, 
the second plague doctor of Edinburgh, for example, being kept busy by the volume of people needing his care. George would burst open the buboes of the sick before sterilising the wound with a red-hot poker, all without anaesthetic. Of course, it was a treatment that had little impact on the disease. When the outbreak of the plague began in 1645, there were about 500 or so citizens living and working inside Mary King's Close. Roughly half of them were either dead or dying of the disease. Many residents would abandon Mary King Close. Conditions were so bad. Eventually officials would take action, and legends tell of how the gates to the street were locked, trapping many of the sick residents inside. The 500 or so that were locked in their homes were quarantined. In effect, this meant they were sealed into their houses and places that they worked. They'd now become their tombs. If dead already, then so be it. If alive, they soon wouldn't be. When the quarantine ended two months later, plague doctors and clangers would once again return to remove the dead. A harrowing task involving using a hatchet to dismember bodies to make it easier to carry the dead out. Close became known to many as Bloody Mary's Close. The buildings in this close became reoccupied some 40 years later, but tales of spooky goings-on began to spread throughout the close, and blame pointed to the spirits of the plague victims, from dismembered floating heads to a woman in black. Because of the horrors of plague, the legends of Mary King's Close have grown and grown over the centuries, since 1645. Perhaps the most famous story of a haunting is that of a little girl. Nicknamed Annie, she's been seen by many people over the centuries, and there's one room in particular that she's said to haunt. Psychics and mediums and those that claim to be able to speak to spirits have said that she was there down in the street in 1645. She didn't live in Mary King's Close. She had the misfortune to be walking up or down it when the city guards came and the street was sealed off. As a result, she's a very melancholy, lonely ghost. And over the years, people have tried to cheer her up by leaving dolls, toys, sweets, things that can still be seen today. One story of the lane hinted about the close's reputation with the supernatural, when in 1685, George Sinclair published his book, Satan's Invisible World Discovered. It was a collection of stories about witches, apparitions, spirits and the devil. He documented a variety of manifestations and defended the popular belief in witchcraft. According to Professor Sinclair, Mr Thomas Coltart, a respectable law agent and his wife moved into a house in Mary King's Close with their maidservant. The servant soon left the close and her employment after hearing the spooky tales. Shortly after moving in, Mrs Coltart sat reading her Bible when a vision frightened her and made her faint. She explained to her husband that she saw a disembodied head of a grey-bearded old man. Her husband put it down to an overactive imagination. However, later that night, whilst they were both laying in bed, the apparition appeared to both of them. They tried to pray it away, but to no avail. Later, a second apparition appeared of a young girl wearing a coat and standing next to the old man's head. A while later, a third apparition appeared before them in the form of an arm, 
which seemed to be reaching out to shake the hands of the living couple. Mr. Coldheart cried out, In the name of the living God, tell me why thou troubles my family. To my knowledge I have never wronged any man, by killing or cheating, but have lived innocently in the world. If thou hast received any wrong, if I can write thee, I shall do my utmost for thee, but trouble me no more. The man's pleadings did nothing, and things continued to happen. These phantoms were soon joined by a ghost dog, a ghost cat, and other spectral creatures. And finally they heard a terrifying groan, and all the spirits vanished. Surprisingly, the couple refused to let these occurrences run them out of their new home, and they remained in Mary King's Close for the remainder of their lives, never to be troubled by the spectres again. However, Later, two more occupants moved to the close, a hard-drinking pensioner and his wife. On the night they moved in, they saw their candle begin to turn blue. Shortly after, a ghostly head reappeared, and the couple fled their home, never to be seen again. Over the next few years, the Mary King Close became more and more difficult to live in, and impossible to sell, or even rent rooms due to the rumours of hauntings. The city would even resort to offering rooms for free to combat the problem. They would, however, remain vacant. In 1750, a fire spread through the close, destroying many of the buildings, and the city took advantage by removing the tops of the tallest buildings and replacing them with a new structure. The Royal Exchange, as it has become known, was soon the home of the city council in 1811. Today, this is known as the city chambers. During the process of this building, Mary King Close was essentially walled off, with limited access making it impossible for remaining residents to stay, and so by 1902, the final remaining resident was forced out by the city, and the Close was lost to time. Today it is one of the most popular underground tours in Edinburgh, having been reopened in 2003. Many of the workers in the chambers above have reported strange experiences for years. The sound of odd scratching. All of the tour guides have experienced odd things too. Perhaps the most strange thing is hearing footsteps walking up and down the empty street. On other occasions they report seeing a very famous figure called the Black Lady, aptly named for the black dress she is wearing. These half-forgotten reminders of Edinburgh's insanitary past provide a perfect setting for a suitably spooky atmosphere. Maybe the past has found a way to return. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. If you like this podcast, there's a number of things you can do. Come and join us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Spread the word about us with friends and family. Leave a review on our website or other podcast platforms. To support the podcast further, why not head on over to join us on Patreon, where you can sign up to gain a library of additional material and recordings, and in the process know you're helping the podcast continue to put out more content. On a final note, if you haven't read it already, then you can find my piece In Search of the Medieval in Volume 3 of The Feminine Macabre, over on spookeats.com or via Amazon. Links to the book will also be in the episode description. Thank you everyone for your amazing support. Mm -hmm.